Good morning. Well, it's week three of our 30-day church challenge, where we're spending 30 days learning how to reach our God-given potential. I really want a suit like that. You guys be okay if I preach with wings? Would that be cool? Eh, Maybe not. 30 days focusing on how to reach our God-given potential by engaging in five priorities that God has established for the church, for his churches. Five priorities to help us be healthy and influential in the world. And so we started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, First priority was authentic community. Pastor Mark talked to us about togetherness. And then last week, Tyler Walsh talked to us about the priority of worship. And today, the plan is, I'm going to talk about the priority of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. Did you know that the Bible teaches that becoming a Christian is not just an event? Did you know that? It starts with an event. It starts with a spiritual birth into God's family. But spiritual birth's not the end any more than physical birth's the end. You know, you don't take a newborn and dress them up in a suit and send them out the door and say, go for it. Some growing that needs to happen. And the same is true uh, spiritually. When we are born spiritually, that is the beginning of a lifelong process of changing, changing from what we were before we came to know Christ into what God wants us to be. And that process of change we call spiritual growth. Take a look at a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter, where is it? 2, verse 2 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And then 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I'd like everybody to repeat this after me. You ready? According to God's word, say that. According to God's word, if I have been born spiritually, I should be growing spiritually. There you go. And the reason is simple, and it's this, because where there's life, there's growth. Living things grow. Grass grows. Trees grow. Plants grow. Weeds grow. Kids grow. Why? Because they're alive. And where there's life, there's growth. And that's true of everybody. You know, if you're here this morning and you're alive, you are growing. Even if you're the oldest person in the room. You may not be getting any taller. In fact, you might be getting shorter. That kind of seems to happen. But if you're alive, I guarantee you somewhere on your body, growth is occurring, even if it's your fingernails. And that's all. Where there's life, there's growth. And see, spiritual growth is even more important than physical growth. 
Because physical growth shows we're alive physically. Spiritual growth shows we're alive spiritually. To be alive spiritually means to be alive to God. And nothing is more important than that. Spiritual growth is huge. So how do we experience spiritual growth? That's what we're going to be looking at in our main passage for today. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Do you ever feel stuck spiritually? Do you ever feel like you're not growing, maybe like you should be? Well, then this is a good passage, a good portion of God's word to learn from. The Apostle Paul here is writing to a church, a group of Jesus believers, and he is talking to them about his own experience of spiritual growth. Take a look. Chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Did you see that word mature in verse 15? That's why I say this passage has some things to teach us about spiritual growth, because mature is a growth word. We grow into maturity. But growth doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen, and we see that. And that's true physically, too. Growth doesn't just happen. You might think that. But I remember my mom always used to say, eat your green beans if you want to get tall. And I don't know if that was the key or not. But, If you don't eat something, you won't grow. You'll stop growing pretty quick if you just stop eating. Okay, It doesn't just happen. It's not just automatic. And we can see that from Paul's own example, which he tells us, did you see that? He tells us to follow. Follow my example. So we want to look at his example. We want to learn from it. So if you're feeling spiritually stuck, this is how to get growing and keep growing. And if you've already become fairly mature, well, this is how to keep growing, how to help others grow. All right, so basically I see three steps here in Paul's example of growth. First step, don't be satisfied with where you're at. Don't be satisfied with where you're at. So here's the Apostle Paul. As he thinks about his own relationship with Christ, as he thinks about his own growth, as his, his own progress toward what all that God has for him, all that God wants him to become, he says in verse 12, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, 
but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus told, took hold of me. I just find that kind of amazing, really. Think about this. The Apostle Paul. I mean, he's one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. His example is amazing. I mean, he's got to be in the top five. And yet, as he thinks about where he's at spiritually, he says, I'm not satisfied. I haven't arrived yet. I'm still moving. I'm still going. I need to press on. Now, let's think very carefully here about what he's saying. All right? Is he saying, well, I just, I don't know if I'm right with God yet. And, and somehow I've got I've to try harder to earn God's approval. Is, it, is that what he's saying? Is he saying he can't be sure that he really does have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he really has been forgiven of his sins, that he really does have eternal life? Is that what he's saying? No, that is definitely not what he's saying. We've got to be clear on this. That's not why he's saying he's dissatisfied. Okay? And we know that because the gospel that Paul preached... The gospel that we proclaim as a church, the gospel of Scripture, the good news about Jesus Christ, is that salvation is a gift. Being right with God is a gift that Jesus earned for us. It is not a wage that we earn for ourselves. And we see this in many places. One of those is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul says, for it is by grace, grace means gift, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. You don't work for it. You receive it as a gift. And we can see it right here in Philippians chapter 3. Just a few verses before where we start in verse 12. Verse 9. Paul talks about not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He says, the righteousness I have is not my own that I got by keeping the rules, by obeying the law, but that which is through faith, through trusting in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Then here in verse 12, we read, it says, he wants to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. Jesus took hold of him. I want you to know, when Jesus takes hold of you, He's got you. Okay, You belong to him when he takes hold. And then just a few verses later, verses 20 through 21, look at what he says here. But our citizenship is in heaven. He's a citizen of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they become like his glorious body. See, these are not the words of somebody who's hoping he might make it with God if, if he can just, you know, try harder, do better. If his good deeds outweigh his bad deeds, then maybe, you know, he'll have eternal life. No, this is somebody who's confident of a glorious future. Confident that he is going to experience transformation when Jesus comes. And he's confident of this because of Jesus and his righteousness. 
not because of his own righteousness, because of himself. Okay, so we've got to be clear. When Paul says he's not satisfied, that he hasn't arrived, he is not talking about having salvation, having the gift of eternal life. He's confident of that. Okay, but here's the thing you've got to see. We, we have to grasp this. That confidence in the salvation that God has given him does not make him passive. It doesn't make him passive. And see, that's the temptation. To think that, well, okay, because I've got this gift, I'm saved, then I, I'm done. Paul never says that. He never says, hey, I prayed the prayer. I'm good. I've got my get out of hell free card. I'm just going to sit back and take it easy till Jesus comes and gets me. He doesn't say that. In fact, he says exactly the opposite. He says, Jesus has taken hold of me, and therefore I press on to take hold of everything that he wants for me, everything he wants me to become. He refuses to be satisfied with where he's at. It's not good enough. I'm pressing on. There's a goal that I'm, that I'm pushing toward. And what is that goal? I look at Ephesians 4.13. This defines the goal of spiritual growth. You say, okay, I'm growing, but where? Where am I going? What's the goal? What am I trying to, you know, achieve? Look, Ephesians 4.13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, there it is, What does that mean? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal of spiritual growth. To reach the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To become like Jesus. In our house, we have a very special wall. And you look at it, and it's got all these pencil marks on it. And next to each pencil mark, maybe you have a wall like this somewhere, or a door jam or something. Next to each pencil mark, there's a name and a date. This is our measurement wall. Okay, and we used this when the boys were growing up, our three sons. And every once in a while, when somebody would remember, measure me. And you get out the ruler and you have them stand there and you make the mark, put the name and the date. And they can see, you know, hey, I'm making progress. And every one of our boys wanted the same thing. They wanted to reach and pass the highest mark on the wall, which happens to be mine. (laughs) Or at least it used to be. And... And so what did they want? They wanted to reach the whole measure of the fullness of dad. In height, anyway, okay? All right, when we think about spiritual maturity, what is the whole measure of the fullness that we're trying to reach? It's the pencil mark labeled Jesus. Jesus. And we're not talking about height now. We're talking about character. We're talking about becoming as kind as Jesus. 
as patient as Jesus, as loving as Jesus, as courageous as Jesus, as holy as Jesus. Let me ask you, as you look at that, Mark, are you there yet? You're not there yet, are you? You turn to the person next to you and say, I love you, but you're not there yet. Okay? We're not there. So don't be satisfied with where you're at. Don't be satisfied with where you're at. But don't be discouraged either. Okay? That's the second step. Don't be satisfied with where you're at, but don't be paralyzed by where you've been. Verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. You notice, to press on, you have to forget what's behind. Do you see that? Forgetting what's behind, I press forward. Why do you have to forget what's behind to move forward? What does that even mean? Does it mean you have to somehow erase your memories of the past? No, it doesn't mean that you can't even do that if you try. And the harder you try to forget something, the more you're not going to forget it. It's not talking about that. This is a forgetting in terms of a letting go, of a not being preoccupied with, not letting that thing control my life. Because that can happen, can it? Our memories... Our past can paralyze us. Whether we're talking about bad things or even good things. I mean, good memories can paralyze us. We can think, oh yeah, I've done such, I've worked so hard for God, I've done so many great things in my past back in the day. I can just kind of take it easy now. I don't need to try hard to grow anymore. And our, our past can paralyze us. Or... We, could, we can get all nostalgic and say, remember how it used to be? Remember all those great things? Remember, remember the way we used to do things? Remember how great that was? And we get preoccupied with the past, we get focused on the past, and we're not moving forward. Bad memories can do the same thing. And we think about all of our failures, and we just go, what is the point of trying I have blown it so many times. I have failed so many times. Why would I try in our past? Don't ever, this is telling us, don't ever let your past keep you from pursuing what God has for you. Ever. You know, Paul described himself in 1 Timothy 1.15 as the worst of sinners. That apparently is how he really felt about himself. I'm the worst of sinners. But then he says in verse 16... He says, but for this very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his, now look at this, unlimited patience. Do you ever worry that Jesus is running out of patience with you? Don't worry. Unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. And Jesus had mercy on me and saved me so that everybody else could look at me and say, well, if God can forgive him and save him and change him, he can do that with me. Don't let your past 
keep you from pursuing. How good you've been or how bad you've been is not the issue. The issue is Jesus Christ and how good he is and all that he wants to accomplish in and through your life. That's the only issue. Now, this isn't saying, you know, if you've got some unfinished business back there somewhere you need to take care of, that you shouldn't do that. No, that can be part of letting it go. I mean, if you've got some apologies to make, or if you've got a debt to pay off, or you've got something you need to try to make right, by all means, do that. But don't let that past control you. Don't be paralyzed by where you've been. And then the third step... Press on to where you're going. Press on. Don't be satisfied with where you're at. Don't be paralyzed by where you've been, but press on to where you're going. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've ever seen a sprint, a race, a foot race, you know, if you watch the Olympics, uh, the 100-meter dash or the 200-meter or whatever, then you, you, you know the picture that Paul's talking about here. When those runners get down to the finish line, what do they do? They stretch, they strain to try to hit that tape first. That's the picture here. It's an athletic picture. It's a picture of how spiritual growth happens. Pushing forward. Putting out effort. Putting out discipline. And this is not the only time Scripture uses athletics as a picture of how Spiritual growth happens. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25 to 27. Paul says, Everyone who competes in the games, be like the Olympics, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. You know what they used to give these people? They didn't give them gold medals. They gave them laurel wreaths to put on their head. Whoopee! They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, Paul says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, randomly. I do not fight like a man, you know, beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What he's saying is spiritual growth requires discipline. Spiritual growth requires effort. Just like the discipline, just like the self-control, just like the effort of an athlete preparing for a competition. So we've got to get this. Spiritual growth does not just happen. It doesn't. It takes effort. It takes discipline. Think of it this way. Salvation. When we receive the gift, of God's salvation, and it is a gift. When we receive that, okay, that is not a diploma. It's not a diploma saying, you're done. It's a driver's license. 
It's saying, okay, here you go. Now you've got what it takes to move. So get going. You're not at the finish line. You're at the starting line. So get in there, crank that baby up, and move. Get going. Pursue the prize. Paul did not just coast through life hoping that maybe, just somehow, spiritual growth would happen. That somehow he would get to know Jesus better and somehow he would just become more like him. It would just sort of happen. No, he went after it with the determination and the discipline of an athlete. How do we do that? How do we do that? Look again at verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Live according to the pattern. What is that pattern? Where do we get that pattern that we need to follow so that we will grow and become mature? Where do we get it? All right, now we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2 to the foundational passage that we've been using for our whole 30-day challenge. Look at the example of the first church, these first Christians. Look at the first words in Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves. Look at that word devoted. Doesn't that sound like discipline, commitment, devotion? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's where we get the pattern how to live to grow we get the pattern in scripture we get the pattern in the word of god that he gives to us through the apostles of jesus christ why is that the pattern because that's where jesus portrait is you know that mark on the wall well here's where you find out about it what what's what's involved in that mark Who is Jesus really? What's he like? What's the character that he has? See, this is where we have Jesus. This is where we see him. This is where we have his commands and his teachings and his instructions. And maybe most importantly of all, his promises to us to trust him. This is where we hear his voice. This is the pattern. We have got to get into our Bibles. And I want you to notice that this is something we've got to devote ourselves to. They did that. You know, devotion. What does that mean? What does that suggest? That suggests commitment. That suggests intensity. That suggests intentionality. You know, when I was dating Karen, I didn't just, you know, think on a day, boy, I hope I hope I have a conversation with her today. I hope we'll go on a date. No way. If I wanted to talk to her, I made it happen. I called her up. If I wanted to take her on a date, I made it happen. I asked her out. Intentional. See, that's what devotion means. You make it happen because you want it to happen. You're intentional. If we really want to grow... 
If we really want to become more like Jesus, then we've got to devote ourselves to the pattern. We've got to devote ourselves. We've got to listen to what Jesus is telling us. And we've got to trust him enough to want to do what he says in complete reliance on him. Don't misunderstand. This is not saying, okay, here's a whole bunch of list of rules, and if I keep these rules perfectly, then I'll grow. No, this is about listening to Christ and trusting him and reading and going, man, Jesus, forgiveness. How can I be like that? Lord, I need your help. Help me become forgiving. And we devote ourselves. And did you notice? Did you notice the church in Acts, it says they devoted themselves, plural, to the teaching. And here, Paul said in Philippians 3.17, join with others in following my example. My example of, of not being satisfied with where you're at, not being paralyzed by where you've been, but pressing on to where you're going. Join with others in doing that. And then he says... Take note of those who are following the pattern. Follow their example. They did it together. This takes us right back to the first message in the series on the need for authentic community. We've got to get into our Bibles together. We've got to listen to Jesus' voice together. We've got to understand what he's saying to us together. We've got to, we need the encouragement, and frankly, we need the accountability of one another to help us devote ourselves to the pattern. We've got to do it together. We've got to exercise discipline together. Growth, growth is a group project. It's a group project. And that's why we've encouraged everybody to get together with a group of friends during the week to talk about, to think about together, and to pray about the things that we're learning as we go through this. All right, so let me just wrap up with some practical suggestions on devoting ourselves to God's Word. All right, the first one I've already talked about, do it together. Do it together. It's a group project. All right, well, what do I mean by that? Well, get together with your friends this week. And one of the things you ought to talk about is What helps you? What have you learned to do that helps you get into God's Word? What helps you keep up that discipline? Or if you've never learned that discipline, learn from somebody. Hey, would you tell me how you do it? What helps you? And then give each other permission to ask from week to week. Hey, how's it going? How's it going with you getting into God's Word? What are you learning? Tell me what you're learning. Let me tell you what I'm learning. And then get into God's Word every day. It's just a discipline to learn. You know, there's other things you do. You just have learned the discipline of brushing your teeth or shaving or making your bed or checking the oil. We learn disciplines. We learn patterns. Learn the discipline of getting into God's Word, even if it's just five minutes. Because this is where we get the pattern for growth. You're not going to get it anywhere else. It's not going to be on CNN. You know, you're not going to hear it on the radio on the way to work. This is where the pattern is. Get into God's Word daily. You know, if you've never really done that, 
start with one of the Gospels, Matthew or John. Look at that portrait of Jesus, but start to make it a habit. And then one other thing for this week, for getting in your groups, uh, take a look in your study guide when you get a chance. Before you meet with your group, and uh, at the end of this chapter on spiritual growth, pay special attention to questions 12 and 13. They have to do, like, out of all the areas we've talked about, what's one area that you'd really like to experience some spiritual growth in? be a great conversation. Think about that before you meet with your group. And then pray for one another. Okay? I, what I really hope is that we don't walk out of this thinking this was some kind of self-help seminar. That if I can just try harder, I can, I can be whatever I want to be. Growth is about believing better about who Jesus is and listening to him and responding to him. He's got to be the center. He's the one who gives us the power. He's the one that enables us to change. This is not about us doing this in our own strength. So pray for one another. Okay, and if you haven't had a chance yet to get in a group, there's, a, there's an email address on the note sheet in your folder. Shoot an email there, and I'll try to help you get connected to a group. Let's pray together. Father, your word promises that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we just want to claim that promise today. We want to say, yes, Lord, keep working. We know you haven't given up on us. We know you haven't set us aside. We know that you still want us to become more and more like your son. You want to see the image of your Son multiplied throughout this earth. So please, Lord, be at work in our lives. Help us exercise the discipline, the effort to grow, to press on, to not be satisfied, to not be paralyzed, but to press on and help us do it together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.